thrilling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. And just like that, we are back. Hour two, and the number is still the same. The song remains the same, and the number is the same. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. I'll be getting to phone calls here in a moment. First, though, I want to get to some emails. Um, this is from Anonymous. I know your name because you gave it to me, but she wants to be anonymous. Uh, she's referring to that book that I referenced early, earlier about conversations with God. It's, it's truly just toothachingly bad. It's, it's just, it just has... Um, actually, I flung it across the studio. Let me walk over there and grab it because I want to give you the exact title. Okay. Yeah, it's called Conversations with God. I didn't know it existed. Um, a listener wrote me a letter and just said, what do you think about this? So I went through it. If you didn't catch my little overview of it, you can hear it in the first hour of the program. And the show will be archived in about an hour after the show's over, so you can check it out. So I won't go back through all that. Uh, but it's um, it's just a book filled with error. And it wouldn't be really a big deal one way or the other, but it purports to be God giving these messages to this man. What's his name? Um, Neil Walsh. And, I mean, no disrespect to him. I don't know him. I, I don't know anything about him. A caller did call in earlier today and said that he had a chance to meet him long ago. Apparently he's still alive, so there's always hope for conversion. But it's just filled with lies and errors and and things that are really dangerous for people if they actually believe this stuff. So that's who and what Anonymous is talking about. I read this book, she says, along with coworkers back in the 90s. I was in my late 20s. I was so thrilled that people at work wanted to discuss God. Years later, in understanding my faith more, I realized this book was all wrong. I haven't thought of the book since. Last week, she says, I found it in my home. And today you're talking about it. I've immediately thrown it out. Do I need to confess reading this? No, I don't think so, Anonymous, because in order for it to be a sin, you have to know, if I do this, if I say this, if I do this, if I think this, if I, you know, whatever whatever the action may be, and this is contrary to God's will for me, and I know that, and I know it's sinful, and I'm going to do it anyway, well, then it becomes a sin at least in a formal sense. And then, yeah, sure, you would confess it. But it sounds to me like you just didn't realize it. You were innocent. You had this book reading group that you were reading with, and you probably, as you say, you you thought that's kind of weird. But you weren't committing a sin because you you weren't intentionally doing something that you realized God said no to. But I would say if if you were to, not that you would do this, but if you were to go out and buy 10 copies and give them to everybody you know, or 10 of your best friends, uh, yeah, I'd probably confess that because that would be scattering weeds among the wheat. So no, I don't think you need to confess it, but thanks for taking a moment. Um, This one may be a little more for you, young Thomas. Um, Kevin in Florida says, I'm with you, referring to me, knowing nothing about the music, I would never even open a rap song link. Young Thomas, if it came from a friend, though, I might. So... That's a vote of confidence, sort of, I guess. Um, 
Let's see. And this is kind of neat. This is from David listening down in Houston. David writes to me on a daily basis. Thank you, David. And he says, awesome how the Holy Spirit showed us already this morning, even your eight-year-old caller in you to avoid listening to feelings. I don't think he's talking about the song by Morris Albert. But um, he says, thanks for all Relevant does, and I love all your callers. God bless them all. I learned so much daily from the interactions. I'm betting even an eight-year-old knew all the lights would go out, would not go out, rather, when Stephen Hawking died because the earth, the sun, and atheists are not the center of our universe. Okay. And um, he has a few things to say about the, um, the importance of prayer and not trusting your emotions. Well, that's all. those are all good points. I appreciate that. Uh, Annette writes in, she's listening down in Florida, in Naples. She says, the book's communication, referring to that book I just mentioned, the one that I def- definitely do not recommend, uh, it reminds me of the Pope and all his dialogue. Uh, isn't he acting just like this book's conversation with God? I don't think so. I, and I don't really know really what what the background is, let's say, Annette, for the Holy Father's writings and things. I don't know. I don't know. One could only speculate. But I think that this book is nothing at all the same by comparison, nothing at all like that. The book purports to be, as the man said, the guy who wrote it, that he just puts his hand, you know, he has a pen and he puts his hand on a paper and some external force starts moving his hand and writing things that are not coming from him. They're coming from this external entity. That's certainly not something from God, if you ask me. So no, I don't think there's any comparison whatsoever, but thank you. Uh, also, this has to do with the question I received this morning about a chalice. The uh, the Knights of Columbus, a uh, fourth-degree Knight of Columbus, called in to say that at his local parish, the priest demurred when offered this chalice that had the name of a deceased fourth-degree knight engraved on it. And he said he didn't want the chalice with the name engraved on it. So we had a conversation about that. And Gail says... I love your show. Uh, Our son was ordained to the priesthood in 2019. He received three chalices as gifts, all of which were previously used and then refurbished. She says, I think the number of ordinations has declined compared to the number of deaths of priests to the point where there is an overabundance of these treasures. Your idea to send them to the areas where the church is growing is a great idea. Well, thanks for that, Gail. I think it is too, at least as far as the, the priests who could certainly use it. Uh, This note comes from Don in Chicago regarding the engraved chalice. He says, regarding the caller about the engraved chalice, my dad was a Cleveland firefighter who died in the line of duty. I found out that an engraved chalice with his name was given to my parish. Just wanted to share. Well, that's very neat. I'm glad to hear that. And there was another one. I don't see it offhand, so forgive me. Um, But (laughs) I'll get to this email in a second. But um, there was another one that said, that sometimes chalices or often chalices are given to seminarians. So maybe if you know a seminarian in your diocese, maybe you could repurpose the chalice by giving it to him. That's a good idea. Now, he would he would need to be like near the end of his priestly formation. So his diaconate year, that's fourth theology typically, uh, or even third theology. But below that, I probably wouldn't give it to a seminarian quite yet. And lastly, James just sent me a note a moment ago He's listening on the Relevant Radio app, and he says, I just looked that book up on Amazon, and there are 666 reviews. (laughs) That's just happenstance, but it's actually kind of funny. It has 666 reviews, and he says, thanks, I love the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. 
um, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Mike in Virginia, or in West Virginia, excuse me. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Patrick. Um, I'm kind of a, maybe a silly question for you, but I really am having trouble coming sure. to, uh, to the right answer. Um, so I'm a truck driver and I eat out frequently and I've decided to give that up for Lent, uh, mm. and you know, and Brown, Brown bag it. Um, okay. my question is, have I excluded myself from participating in my parish's fish fry on Friday? Because that's kind of like a donation thing, and then you get a meal. Is that you something can, I should stay away from? Or? Well, I don't think so. You can structure your, your penance, your Lenten penance, however you wish. So, for example, somebody may say, I'm going to give up wine during the week, and I'll only have wine on Sunday. Or I'm going to give up television or something else as my penance, and I will relent and have and have that on Sunday, as an example. Some people say, nope, I'm going to give it up strictly. It'll be all 40 days of Lent. But you have the freedom to do it however you wish. The church doesn't say, oh, Mike, you made a, you know, you made a promise you're not going to eat out at a restaurant or fast food or anything, so you can't go to the fish fry. No, you can make that an exception because... It not only does it support the parish, it also gives you added fellowship with your fellow Catholics and such. So, and that's a good thing. If I were you, especially since you're away from home quite a bit, I think that would be a real blessing, wouldn't it? For you to have that in your life where you can get together and plug in with your Catholic confreres at your parish, that would be a good thing. Oh, absolutely. I was hoping that was going to be your answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, you're in control, and you can you can make your Lenten penance however rigorous or mild or anywhere in between as you wish. Um, I would say it's a it's a, a laudable thing that you're offering up something that's really close to your heart because you you do this so frequently. So to give that up, I'm sure, will be a sacrifice. But if you were to say, I give it all up except for the Lenten fish fries at the parish, no problemo. You're you're good to go. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, I have a question for you, Mike. If you yeah. are so inclined, why don't you jump over to relevantradio.com and under support us, we have a section where you can order up some bumper stickers for your. You're driving an 18 wheeler, or what kind of truck do you drive? No, no, I, uh, I'm a delivery driver. I drive a, like a you know a panel truck. Oh, I got you. Okay. So, um, would you be allowed to put a bumper sticker on your vehicle? Um, that, that would have to, I would have probably just have to ask my boss about that one, but, okay. but I would love to have some for my own personal vehicles. Okay. Well, I can get you hooked up with these and that's true for anybody listening. Just go to relevantradio.com and in the navigation bar, you want to mouse over, uh, support and it'll have a drop down menu at the bottom of which is request a bumper sticker and they're free and they, they look cool. They're, they're very uh, noticeable on the back of your car. So if you would like to put a relevant radio bumper sticker on your car, we'll send you a couple for free. Just tell us where to send them. And if you put okay. your region in, do you listen on the relevant radio app or are you listening on one I of do. our stations? Yes. No, I, no, I listen on the app on my cell phone. Okay. We do have a relevant radio bumper sticker for that. So it says relevant radio, listen at relevantradio.com, And that's where they can get the app. So that's a little value added for you as you're out and about. Who knows how many people would see that and, and decide to start listening. Right. All right. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Sure will. Thank you. You're welcome.
888-914-9149. This is a note that came in from, <laughs> well, the name of the person listed here is Patrick Fan. Thank you for that. And I can't quite discern the name based upon the email, so we'll just go with Patrick Fan. And he or she listens on the Relevant Radio app. Here's the question. Is it possible that 60-plus years of the pill has caused an increase in same-sex attraction? I listened to the talk you recommended, Contraception, Why Not?, by Dr. Janet Smith. She describes a study with monkeys finding that hormonal contraceptives caused male monkeys to lose interest in females. It seems to imply that 60-plus years of the pill might cause an increase in same-sex attraction. Do you think that's possible? Well, I have no medical or scientific knowledge to draw upon. I mean, that's not my field, so I don't purport to to be able to, you know, say the scientific explanation is. But I think the answer would be yes. Do I think it's possible? Sure. I mean, I saw some studies years ago having to do a bit of research for a segment on contraception that I did talking about the pill. This is on the show, but years ago. And it involved the results of the hormones in the contraceptive pill that women routinely take going through the urine into the toilet, from the toilet into the sewer system, from the sewer system into the water treatment plants. And it showed how the water treatment plants don't necessarily filter out some of those things, such as the hormones, in which case they get into the groundwater and they affect the flora and fauna, and in particular, the fauna, the fish and amphibians and things. I wish I had that information in front of me to quote from, but I did read it, and I, I can see that there must be some correlation scientifically with the effects of the, horm the hormonal contraception pill if it gets into the groundwater. And so if that's the case, and if... The, the pill, see, this is the tricky part, okay? The pill is taken by women. So in order for the man to somehow absorb some of the harmful effects of the pill, the women certainly do, but for the man to absorb some of the harmful effects of the pill, I don't know how that process would be. I just generally don't know. So I don't know if there is some pathway, some delivery system, other than maybe groundwater, and he drinks water that wasn't, you know, filtering all that stuff out. That's possible, I suppose. There are other forms of contraception. So that could be another thing too. But you know what I would do? And by the way, she finishes by saying, I have a lighter question. I'd love to hear you share examples from, I'd love to hear you share examples from your own experience with the father of the bride speeches. And it signed off, listening three hours a day in the Twin Cities. Thank you so much. And, and I don't, I, I said that it's a she, I don't know if it's a she or a he. But thank you for the kind email. And I'll keep that in mind. Maybe at some point I'll give some examples of Father of the Bride speeches. I've given a couple myself. Um, but as to this issue, here's a resource. It's called One More Soul. And anyone listening, you can go to onemoresoul.com and investigate these medical and scientific issues as they pertain to contraception. And the website is One More Soul. One More, it's so O-N-E, M-O-R-E-S-O-U-L.com, onemoresoul.com. When you get there, you'll see in the navigation bar, they have a place called Publications. Click on that, 
And they have, for example, in English, they do have a whole section of resources in Spanish as well. These are pamphlets and booklets that are available both in paper form. You can order them, but you can also click on the link and open up the PDF version of it. So I'll give you some examples here. Uh, alternatives to the pill, breast cancer risk from abortion. Um, let's see, continuing contraceptive, discontinuing contraceptives in your pharmacy. One pharmacist insights, female sterilization, uh, IUDs, uh, NFP. There are several things on that. Uh, perceiving the contraception connection, problems associated with hormonal birth control. I would zero in on that one. And uh, that would be probably the place that would contain some of the details that I was alluding to earlier. Um, yeah, as I can see here, it gets into a lot of the science about what's in the hormonal pills, increases risk of blood clots, increases risk of breast cancer, um, they're abortifacient, uh, reproductive organ cancer, there seems to be a correlation there, liver tumors, there seems to be a correlation there, increased risk of heart attacks, harmful effects of these hormones on marriage and society. So yeah, there's plenty in there. And this is all free. It's all free for the taking. You just go there and grab it. So that's onemoresoul.com. I'm going to take a break and come back to more of your phone calls. The number to dial is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And if you interact with the good people over at One More Soul, in your kindness, why don't you tell them that you heard about them on Relevant Radio? And we say hello, and thanks for all the good work. I'll be right back. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. Take heart through with this sounds familiar to you Cause no matter what has happened or what you've gone through Your words are defined by the eyes of another So don't let degradation in your life Smother the beautiful soul which you possess Someday will be shine to help others find rest For everyone out there who can hear me Know that you're priceless in love for eternity What? You're not just a dry time Who's this? Not just a pillar This is young Thomas by people in past days, mm. free yourself from those memories and open your heart, mind, and soul to be. It's got a good melody, but it's hard to dance to. You are Can you dance to this? It'd be like a slow, dance. super slow dance. Yeah. Like, okay, so spill the beans real quick. We have to get back to phone calls. This is who again? Who's who's singing this, this artist? This is T Max Bosco. And this is the, from the album Raindrops on Windows. And that's you, right? Young Thomas? Yes. A.K.A. Young Thomas from Hitting Patrick the big Richard. time. <laughs> Good for you. So T-Max Bosco. I really do think Young Thomas would be an even better name, stage name. But who knows? What do I know? I just, I just do a radio show. And this can be found where? Anywhere you listen to music, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, um, anywhere. So. That's great. Congratulations. Thank Superstar. You. Thank you. All right. Just don't ever outgrow your work here at Relevant Radio. We need you here. 888-914-9149. Uh, let's go to Greg now in Miami. Good morning, Greg. Hey, Patrick. Uh, 
I have a question regarding the Maronite Rite Catholic yeah. Church. Mm-hmm. I go, I go to a Latin Rite no, uh, normally, and mm-hmm. I went and tried, and I was really, I don't know if impressed is the right word, but it was very pious, and it was really nice, and I was thinking of joining it, but I wanted to know, what's your opinion on that? Should you oh. visit it, or... Only positive it. things to say. I mean, it's one of the Eastern rites of the Church, and it has a uh, um, a noble and, and wonderful pedigree in the Middle East, where it comes from. So um, I'm not an expert on the Maronite rite, but it would be historically and geographically emanating from what is now Lebanon, the Levant, in that general area. Not just there, but that general area. So it is a beautiful Eastern Rite of the Church. They're fully Catholic, of course, and um, I've I've had the same experience that their Divine Liturgy, what we would call the Mass, is quite beautiful. So is your question, is that your question I'm answering, or was there a question about the Maronite Rite that you're wondering about? No, it was more uh, whether, you know, is it like acceptable to join it or, you know... Because I don't, yeah. I'm not sure. I just haven't even seen one until I saw it. Passed it for like five years. Went into it on Sunday, and it was just really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have freedom as a you're a Latin Rite Catholic, I presume, Greg. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So you have freedom to you can do one of two things. You can do either of two things. You can attend that Maronite parish. You can register at that Maronite parish if you wish receive the sacraments there, immerse yourself in the community and the the liturgy, etc., and still remain as a Latin Rite Catholic. You can do that. You have the freedom to enjoy that part of the Catholic Church. All Catholics have that freedom. You could also, if you wished, you could leave the Latin Rite and formally become a Maronite Rite Catholic. That's very uncommon, generally speaking, for people to change rites, but it can be done. And it's something that your bishop would approve. Um, he wouldn't disapprove. He wouldn't say, no, sorry, Greg, you can't do that. If permission is requested, it's granted. But once you were, if you were to change rights and become a Maronite Rite Catholic, it becomes very difficult to change back again. If for some reason you decided you wanted to go back into the Latin Rite, that, then it's more difficult. But you could do either of those two things. You could either remain as a Latin Rite Catholic and enjoy the beauty of the Maronite Rite, or any other rite in the church, or you could change rites. That would be totally up to you. Okay, so I could register at that parish, but remain Latin rite. That's what I thought. I thought you by could. registering, you change. No, you. The, the registration is just the parish that you are, you know, that you frequent, and hopefully you give in the envelopes, you give in the collection, that kind of thing. It's a way to support the local church. But, yeah, you could remain as a Latin Rite Catholic. And just by way of example, Nancy and I did that um, for a, a stretch of time, about three years. We were living in San Diego, and we are Latin Rite Catholics, baptized Latin Rite Catholics, will always be Latin Rite Catholics, have no interest in ever leaving. But for three years, we enjoyed the beauty of living and, and worshiping at a Ruthenian Byzantine parish in San Diego, Holy Angels Parish, by the way, right off the 805 freeway. It's on a hill overlooking Mission Valley. If you look up from Mission Valley, where the 805 freeway goes up the hill, it's on the east side of the hill. It's a little, beautiful little church. So we were there for three years, and we received all the sacraments and went to divine liturgy um, in, in that parish. Our children, some of them were chrismated and communed and baptized there. And then when we wound up moving to Ohio, of course, we were no longer at that parish, but we just resumed our, our Latin Rite membership. 
So it's it's as easy as that, really. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good talking to you, Greg. 888-914-9149. How about Daisy now? Let's go to Daisy in Montana. Good morning, Daisy. Good morning. Um, I'm just wondering if you could uh, explain to me what the church teaches about um, if there is anyone in hell right now. My daughter's theology class was having a discussion about it, and Uh um, different things came up, and I was just wondering what you had to say. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we begin, before the establishment of the Catholic Church, let's begin with what Jesus had to say on the topic. And he references hell many times, and he uses, typically, whenever he speaks about hell, he refers to fire, so unquenchable fire, as we see in Matthew chapter 25, when he talks about the sheep and the goats, and he says, on on that day when I come back to judge the nations— uh, we'll separate them into two groups, the sheep and the goats. The sheep, of course, are the blessed. When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me, etc. So they said, Lord, when do we see you in these ways? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then those people are ushered into heaven. You know, come now, you blessed of my Father, come to enjoy the reward that has been prepared for you in heaven. Then he turns to the goats, and he says the same thing, but in reverse. When I was hungry, you didn't give me any food. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me to drink, etc. And they say, Lord, when did we ever see you in these situations? And he says, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. So at that point, he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So so this is an eternal punishment, as it says in verse 46. The righteous go to eternal reward, eternal life, and the reprobates, those who are damned, they go to eternal punishment. So that's one of the many passages in which Jesus speaks about the uh, the reality of hell and that people go there. He describes, in fact, how they go there. Uh, in, ver- in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So if you want, I can give you 20, 30 verses. I don't know if that's overkill, but it's just it's just a continuous reminder that the Lord gives us, that hell is real and real people do go there. Uh, If you look at the book of Revelation, it talks about that. So in Revelation 14, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So those are human beings who accepted the mark of the beast during the time of tribulation. Um, So let's let's suffice with those. Now the church is teaching is based upon these biblical revelations from Jesus, and of course through the writings of St. Paul and St. Peter and the other apostolic writers. So if you look in paragraph 1035, for example, it says that the Church affirms the existence of hell and its eternity. Immediately, it talks about when it's discussing the particular judgment, it says, immediately after death, the souls of those who die in the state of mortal sin descend into hell where they suffer the punishments of hell, eternal fire. The chief punishment of hell is eternal separation from God, in which alone man can possess the life and happiness for which he was created and for which he longs. 
So the section on hell is in that section. So it's it's in the section of what are the four last things. So the paragraphs that specifically talk about hell are paragraph 1033 through 1037. Okay. And after that, in 1038, it goes into the last judgment, and it kind of it it comes back to this theme of heaven and hell, and it reiterates the fact that those who are destined for eternal happiness with God go to heaven, and those who are destined for eternal punishment go to hell. So it's not just in those first five or six passages, but that should be sufficient to demonstrate not only the biblical teaching but the church's teaching based on the biblical teaching. Does that help? I think so. I, it, I'm, I, I know, I know those things. I was just wanting to get your take. Um, the discussion just came up and, um, I, I think it's like one of the things that was said was, I mean, I, I haven't read, well, I think what that's saying is just that we can't say in particular that a person is in hell. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I can't say Patrick died and he went to hell. Um, God forbid. That, Please that, never that, say that. But that. Oh, I'm sorry, Patrick. Um, no, no, I, I meant that in a quasi-joking manner. I hope that when my time comes that everybody will stop and pray for me because I'm sure I'll need it. Um, yes, but, but that's okay. Like she said, but that doesn't mean that no one is there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, no, I know exactly um, what you mean. I think so, I can cut to the heart of this issue, Daisy. What you were referring to, what you heard is apocatastasis. It's a, a Greek term that refers to um, that maybe nobody is in hell. And it's a theory that was popularized in the, 19, in the 20th century, rather, from the Nouvelle Theologie theologians. Um, and Hans-Urs von Balthasar was probably the main exponent of this view. And he wrote a, a, an influential book, didn't influence me at all, but the book is called Dare We Hope That All Men Be Saved. And so it is a, it, it's a theory that posits that, okay, well, maybe hell does exist and maybe, you know, it's there, but nobody really goes there. Or if somebody's there, perhaps in God's loving mercy, you may go there for a time, but then you're, you're, you're purged, you're, you're forgiven, and you leave hell. And that's a, a very sort of simplistic way of explaining. He wrote a whole lengthy book on the topic, so I just gave you a, you know, a one-sentence way of summarizing it. But for some strange reason that I don't understand, this, has, this idea has become more and more popular in some circles, and I think it's utterly untenable. I've heard people try to defend this view. I read that book when I first saw it in the, in the, I guess it was in the late 1980s. I got the book and read it. I was not persuaded at all because it, it bumps directly into the very clear and unambiguous teachings from Jesus that say the opposite and the church fathers that say the opposite. And in essence, the entire preceding 1900 years of Catholic teaching on the basis of scripture and tradition that says the opposite. So it's a comforting thought. I mean, it would be wonderful. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if there really were no hell or if there were one that nobody actually went there or if they did go there that they weren't there for eternity? I would love that. Sign me mm-hmm. up. I'd love that. Yeah. But I can't get around what Jesus taught. It's just, 
it's too overwhelmingly the opposite of this idea of hoping that all people would be saved. So that's why I don't understand why it has become fashionable in some circles. It doesn't make any sense to me because it's so contrary to what we know. But there's, there's my little take on that issue, Daisy. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great Hope that helps. 888-914-9149. How about Linda now in Texas, somewhere in deep in the heart of Texas? Welcome, Linda. Hi. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, good. Yes, I, I live in Fulcher, Texas, which is a small community that's booming. Um, oh. I have this quick. I have a quick question. Yes. The gentleman that called in a few minutes ago and asked about going to the fish fries would that be breaking his Lent if he buy you know purchases food mm-hmm. instead of brown basket? So it brought up something that I've heard people say before that there are only forty days of Lent and they don't count Sundays. And I've yeah. never known if that was. Does that mean then that on Sunday you're not obligated to continue with whatever you've committed to giving up, or just your take on that? Yeah, no problem. There, this is for some reason sort of a persistent, um, I don't know, kind of a controversy in some circles. Not that you're taking it as a controversial point, but you're right. Lent is forty days, and Lent, this season of the church lasts from Ash Wednesday until the evening of Holy Thursday. Now, the Bishop's Conference, it says Sundays are excluded from the count for 40 days, because if you include Sundays, you're going to come up with more than 40 days. So right. the 40-day length of Lent is 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 from Ash Wednesday through the evening of Holy Thursday. So in terms of counting the 40 days, you don't count Sunday. This is where the controversy comes in, because traditionally— in the Catholic Church, the fast, whatever you, not fast, whatever you uh, offered up is your penance. The, it was traditionally done without any break, without any rest stops, without any time off on Sunday for the entirety of Lent. So that was always the traditional way. Now, in more recent years, there has become a trend that says, well, no, you shouldn't do that because Sunday is not a penitential day. Sunday is a day of feasting, not necessarily with food per se, but it is the highest day of all because this is the day that the church gathers for Mass to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, etc. Therefore, some argue, I don't agree with this, that it's improper to maintain your Lenten penance on a Sunday. I don't think it's at all improper at all. Jesus fasted in the desert for 40 days, and we know that a handful of those days were Sabbath days. And yet Jesus fasted for 40 days without ceasing. He didn't take time off on the Sabbath, kick back, let's have a hamburger. No, he fasted continuously for 40 days. So that would be the mode of the more traditional method. Now, here's the interesting thing. You can do either or. You're free to do that. The church does not say, Linda, you're doing it wrong. You've got to do it this way. Now, there are Unfortunately, there are some priests or some lay people who might say, you're doing it wrong, Linda. You're not supposed to fast. You're not supposed to do a penance on Sunday. You don't have to listen to that. That's just that person's opinion. The reality is that you're free to be rigorous or take some time off on Sundays if you wish. Um, You can do either one. And neither one really is right or wrong. I would say the more traditional mode is time-honored, but it's not required the more current theme of saying you take Sundays off, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. 
it's just different from the more traditional mode. You can, you're free to choose either one. Okay. You see what I mean? Yes. Yes. That, that makes sense. And I, I had never practiced taking it off, taking Sunday off, but I've just heard it a lot and I, but I never did mm -hmm. see anything in writing or anything that said we should do it one way or the other. So that's why I've, when that came up right. on your call, the call, I just thought, well, this is a good time to ask. <laughs> oh, you're most welcome. So, yes, whatever you do, do it in love. The Lord will be happy with that. Um, there's something to be said for being more rigorous in the spiritual life. That's something that I think most of us, myself included, don't gravitate toward, <laughs> which might be the, all the more reason why we should be more rigorous. It's not always easy. Um, right. But, yeah, so it'll be a great lamp. Right. Well, thank you very much. And I, I've only been listening to Relevant Radio for a few months. I didn't really know about it. And I absolutely love all the shows. And I don't get to listen to it as much thank as I you. would like, but, but I truly enjoy it. And I'm glad you guys are there. Thank you, Linda. Real quick, how did you hear about Relevant Radio? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, oh, I know, because I signed up last Lent for Father Rocky's uh, 40 Days of Lent thing. Oh, Somehow good. I got I'd gotten an email, and but I didn't start listening right away. Um, and I, I so I heard AM stations, and it's and the other one really is hard to hear mm -hmm. after a certain of day. There's so much static that you can't hear it. So mm -hmm. I then thought, well, let me check out this relevant radio and see if they're any better as far as being able to hear you. And you are. And um, I'm glad to hear that. That's so great. But thank you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Appreciate it. And um, great talking to you. Welcome aboard. I'm glad you're with us at Relevant Radio. Ah, uh, Break time. We'll do that. We'll come right back with more of your phone calls. The number to call, 888-914-9149. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester. An Illinois life insurance company not available in all states. Get connected to the conversation. Call now, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid is on now. Relevant Radio. Let's see. If you want to call 888-914-9149, feel free to call that number now. We have some lines open. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Andy in Appleton, Wisconsin. Hi, Andy. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, was, I am looking for, um, we talk a lot about the Church Fathers and the writings of the Church Fathers when you have... Uh, mm -hmm non-Catholics looking at Catholicism and, and whatnot. And I'm wondering two things. One, is there like a list of, you know, who are the church fathers? And then mm -hmm. really what I'm looking for is, is there that you're aware of um, a collection or a book where these writings have been gathered together or a volume set or something like that, that a person could get their hands on Um that's that's what I'm looking for, mm -hmm. wondering. Sure. I can help you with both things. So the first thing is the Church Fathers are variously 
called the Church Fathers from the time of the end of the Apostolic Era. Really, it goes back to during the Apostolic Era. The earliest one would be uh, Pope Clement of Rome, the Bishop of Rome. He wrote a letter to the Church in Corinth. It's known as the Epistle of Clement to the Corinthians. And that was written in—it's not really entirely clear exactly when it was written, but it seems to have been written sometime between the year 70 and the year 95. So it was in the time of the apostles, some of them anyway, still being alive. He mm-hmm. is typically regarded as the first of the Church Fathers. Now, the end of the patristic era—patristic is a, a term that's used to describe the era of the Fathers. That's generally considered the 8th century with St. John Damascene, or St. John of Damascus. So the, the era or the epoch of the Church Fathers, the patristic era, would be the 1st century through the 8th century. Okay. Now, there are many different—I mean, it's a vast collection, at least what we possess. Much of it has been lost, but we have a vast amount. So the classic way of reading them, if you wanted to get into the Greek and the Latin, uh, for the most part, there's some Syriac and a few other languages, but primarily Greek and Latin would be the the Ming or Minya, depending on how you choose to pronounce it, collection, both of the Latin Church Fathers— in other words, that they wrote in Latin, or the Greek Church Fathers, that is something that's available online, and it's voluminous. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of volumes. There is a a much more truncated version in in English that was edited by a a Protestant patristic scholar. His name is William Schaff, S-C-H-A-F-F. I have that in my personal library at home, and that runs to about, hmm... I think that's about 30 volumes, and so that one would contain the major Church Fathers, and it would have much, if not all, but much of their writings, many of their writings, and in some cases, all of the writings of a given father. Now, that's something that you could purchase for your library. It would cost you a pretty penny. I think I got mine on sure. sale. I know they got them a long time ago, so they were cheaper then, but that's another way. If you want something even further truncated, um, you can go online to um, a website, for example, the uh, New Advent website, and they've got quite a few of the Church Fathers digitally available for free, so you can browse through what they have to say there. Um, sure. There are one-volume and three-volume works that are available, so one that comes to mind would be the three-volume work called The Faith of the Early Fathers by William Jurgens, J-U-R-G-E-N-S, and uh, that's a three-volume compilation of the Fathers of the Church on particular topics. So it's indexed by topic, and you can also look it up by what Bible verses are quoted. And there are any number of other similar books like that. Thankfully, we've got a good variety to choose from. So there's plenty there, depending on how erudite you are and how deep you want to go. Sure. Well, that's great. Um, I didn't realize that it, that it was as that extensive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's quite awesome. extensive. That's very good. Well, hey, I appreciate it. You guys do great work, and God bless you. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate that. One thing I can tell you, if you're interested, are you on Twitter by chance? Because I have a resource for you on Twitter that you'll probably really enjoy. Um, I have it every once in a while. You're about the only reason I'm ever on there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Let me give you another reason. Uh, There is a, let's see here, there is a, I want to get his name correct. Uh, His first name is Joshua, 
And he, what is his last name? I should know this, but uh, it'll come to, I'm just scrolling right now and I'll find it. But he, um, he has a, I guess what he does on Twitter is he quotes from the church fathers on topics. So whether it's the Holy Eucharist or Mary or salvation or, or what have you. And so he gives good extended quotes from the church fathers that you can digest in bite-sized form. That, that's what makes sure. it easier. And um, wouldn't you know it, I'm scrolling forever and I'm not coming across it. So my apologies. But if I, if I find it during the show sometime, I will mention his name because I want to give his name accurately. I know his first name is Joshua. Um, okay. But at the moment, I'm, I'm blanking on his last name. So that's another thing you could check out. All right. Wonderful. Okay. Good talk. Good talking to you, Andy. Thank you. Uh, we'll go now to Jared in Mesa. Good morning, Jared. Good morning. How <laughs> are, are you? Ready now, Jared? I'm not supposed to ask. Yeah. You ready to rock? Yeah, ready to rock. Okay. Um, I had a question about the law of first dimension for um, for reading the Bible. Is that something Catholics use or no? Explain it to me. What do you mean by that? It's something a, a, a co-worker brought it up to me. I'd never heard of this before in my life. Uh, she heard about it at her Lutheran Ash Wednesday service. Um, the idea is that when something is brought up, and like if you want to understand a term like love or something like that, you have to go where it's first brought up in the Bible, and that that kind of sets the stage for how to interpret and use that doctrine or teaching or whatever for the rest mm-hmm. of Scripture. I'd never heard of this before. I just looked it up as you were expl- as you were saying that, and I can see what you're referring to. Um, it appears as though it's something promoted or popularized by a Protestant minister, and I have not spent any time looking at this or or knowing about it. Uh, I will say that there's some value, of course, in seeing what is the con- what is the way a word is used in a given context and. The first time you see a word, that's interesting. You know, what does it mean in context? But it, if if he's saying that the way it's used in the first instance is the way that it should always be understood in every instance thereafter, that of course would be wrong. So yeah, we, you know, what I'm saying. In others, let's let's take an example: the Word of God. Okay, the Word of God. Most Protestants, when they hear that. They think Bible. Right. But it doesn't always mean Bible. So if you were to look in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that word there Mm -hmm. is referring to the second person of the Trinity, who became incarnate in Jesus, clearly not referring to the Bible. In Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So there, although it doesn't say Scripture, certainly doesn't say Scripture alone, it's an allusion to Scripture, the written Word of God, and also the oral teaching. And then you see an example of this in Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 4. Here again, this is an area where many Protestants misunderstand this passage. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul... What on earth is happening in the background there? Sorry, there is an airplane, like a jet just flew right over. Oh, sounded like you were on the outskirts of a riot. Um, Okay, so fair enough. So the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, 
of joints and of marrow in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And it goes on to say that we will be judged by this word. Well, it's clearly not the Bible. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You don't have to give an account to the Bible. The word of God there is referring to Jesus, clearly. So I offer you these examples just in response to your question about the law of first mention, because if if his if he's purporting that the first instance of the word appearing in Scripture will be the correct use of the word always and everywhere, well, that's clearly not correct. But not having read anything about this, I don't know what he really means by it. Still with me? Yeah. Yep, sorry, I was on mute because I didn't want the jet to oh. cycle everything. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm glad you called in, Jared. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time for this hour, but hopefully that little bit is helpful to you. And maybe if there's something more to it, you want to circle back with me, please do. I'll be right back with more of the Patrick Madrid Show right after this. <laughs> 